Chapter 7 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter 7 The funeral of Sir Godfrey was over, and the will had been read. Neither Harold Enstone nor his wife had shown the slightest surprise at its extraordinary provisions. Both accepted the changed conditions with perfect acquiescence, not a little to the absolute surprise of Dr. Halkine and his accomplice. All that Harold said when Mr. Barthgate had finished reading the will was this. I presume, Mr. Barthgate, that this house and everything in it for the time being belongs to me? Unquestionably, replied the lawyer, you have fulfilled the first condition, and therefore, during your life, all the, um, well, to put it into legal phraseology, the messages, tenements, and estates are your absolute property to deal with as you please. The trust, which Sir Godfrey imposed upon Dr. Halkine, has reference only to monies and security actually realizable. Thank you, said Harold, with a lock across the room at the professor. In that case, as my legal representative and adviser, I ask you to take precautions to prevent anything, even a scrap of paper, leaving this house, until I have made a thorough examination of my late guardian's papers. Certainly, Mr. Enstone, replied the lawyer, your wishes shall be obeyed, and I will instruct my clerk, if you like, to seal up all receptacles in which Sir Godfrey might have placed any papers. "'I must admit that that is a wise precaution of yours, my dear Harold,' said Dr. Halkine. "'But I hope you will allow me, after your examination is over, "'to have access to the manuscripts which Sir Godfrey and I have been preparing for several months "'on a certain subject of very deep interest to the scientific world in general.' "'I can make no promises,' said Harold, rather stiffly, "'until I have gone through everything. "'When I have done that,' I shall be happy to hand over to you anything which you say is of interest to the scientific world. I don't think I can say anything more than that at present. Not a little to the professor's astonishment, Harold, while he was saying this, returned the gaze of those wonderful eyes of his unflinchingly. Grace, too, was looking at him, and there was a light in her eyes that he had never seen there before. In the solitude of his study that night, he discovered the reason for this. The magic of wedlock had done its work. His influence over his daughter, hitherto supreme and unquestionable, was either greatly diminished or entirely destroyed. For his own purposes he had made her believe herself sufficiently in love with Harold Enstone to marry him. But there were deeper depths in the mysteries of the marriage union, than even his philosophy had ever sounded. The artificial had become the real, and what had been only love by suggestion was now the love of the perfect union, a union whose strength, as he then recognized, now defied all his evil arts to break. "'I am much obliged to you,' he said a little awkwardly, looking from one to the other. "'You will find the results of a very considerable amount of work,' which I should not like to lose. As a matter of fact, I have already arranged with the contemporary and two or three continental reviews for publication. 
it is a matter of deepest regret to me that my friend and colleague died almost at the time when his name was about to become world-famed. It is a thousand pities, for, without knowing it himself, he was one of the greatest scholars and thinkers of his time. Harold acknowledged the tribute to his other father with an inclination of his head, and the business of the hour proceeded. "'I wonder how the dice that fellow got the idea of having everything sealed up,' said Halkine to Mr. Denyer, as they walked back to the dower house. "'Perhaps his wife suggested it to him. From what I have seen of Mr. Harold, Dacre Enstone, I should hardly think he has originality enough to think that out himself, whereas your daughter—' "'My niece, if you please, for the present.' interrupted Halkine sharply. I have reasons for that, and it doesn't do to use phrases in private which may be used by accident in public. What do you mean? I mean that, as a pretty close student of human nature, as a man of my profession has to be, I have noticed during the last few hours a very considerable change, both in your niece and her husband. He has a great deal more initiative than he had, more decision, more penetration. She, well, before her marriage, you know you could, as it were, turn her round your finger. Somehow I don't think you could do it now. That remains to be proved, said the professor shortly. I think, my dear Halkine, you will find, if I have any skill in such matters, that you, with all your uncanny skill and deep learning, have managed to run up against something like a brick wall of your own building, which you will find a great deal too hard for your head. What do you mean? asked Halkine. Simply this. When you arranged this marriage between your niece and Sir Godfrey's heir, you left out one factor in your calculations, and that is, the absolute and far-reaching change which marriage produces in the personalities of the man and the woman. There is no doubt, of course, that young Enstone was deeply and desperately in love with Miss Grace, however artificial her feelings may have been for him. Now, I think you can see that love has won the day. Instead of her subjecting him, as you intended, his love has conquered her. As I believe the prayer book says, they twain are one. I must say it was a curious impression for such a student of human nature as you are to make, and I am half inclined to think that you are right, Denier, replied Halkine, very quietly after he had taken a dozen strides in silence. It only, after all, goes to show how desperately complicated this new science of personality really is. Well, if you are right, I suppose I have made a bad mistake. I must admit that I am half afraid it is. And, well, if it is, may I ask what it is that you propose to do, continued Mr. Denyer. I mean, with regard to the paying of the first installment, "'Oh, you need not have any fear about that,' Halkine interrupted somewhat testily. "'That will be all right. Only, of course, you must see for yourself that it is quite impossible for me to draw such a large sum as that immediately. I will need a considerable amount of skilful arrangement, my dear fellow,' said he bluntly, almost rudely. "'The careful arrangement is your business. Getting the money is mine. To be quite candid with you, I want it.' Two or three of my ventures have gone rather badly lately, and I am short. In fact, I must have at least five thousand within a week. 
You can't possibly have it out of the estate, Denyer, so it's no use talking about it. You must see for yourself that the thing is impossible. You know the terms of the will as well as I do. The money is to be used at my discretion for the furtherance of study and research in certain branches of science. How on earth can I realize five thousand pounds within a week after Sir Godfrey's burial? You must see that the thing is absurd. Of course, you shall have your money, but there must be something like a decent interval. Hmm, yes, I suppose you're right. But you know, I really do want some ready cash as soon as I can have it. Can you do anything yourself? I mean, in the way of an advance. I think I could let you have a couple of thousands within the week, if that would help you over the stile, said Halkine. It was nearly all the ready money he could command at the time, but he felt that, whatever happened, he could not afford to make an enemy of his accomplice at such a juncture as this. Afterwards, when, as he still believed he could do it, he reasserted his power over grace, everything would be easy. But for the time being his only course was to temporize, even at such a sacrifice. "'Very well,' replied Mr. Denyer. "'If you can manage that, I think I can tide over for the present. Only I really must have the money.' "'You shall have it, my dear fellow,' replied Halkine, almost cheerfully the moment after, and that within a couple of days or so. Mr. Barthke dined at the manor with Harold and his wife, and accepted a pressing invitation to spend the night there. "'The fact is, Mr. Barthgate,' said Harold, when Grace had left the table, and the butler had put out the decanters and retired. "'The fact is that, as I was saying just now, I do not believe that that will was, um, well, what shall I say, properly made. I am perfectly certain that my father, as I have always called him and considered him since I was a boy, could never have put in such an absurd condition as that trusty ship without, um, well, what do you call it, um, I presume, said Mr. Barthgate, taking a sip at his port, that you allude what we call in law undue influence. Exactly, said Harold, as he lit his cigar. That is just what I mean. Of course, as you know, just as well as I do, Sir Godfrey was a trifle eccentric uh, where scientific matters were concerned. I could quite understand a rich man like him making very considerable bequests to recognize scientific institutions, and I should be the very last to object to that sort of thing. I owe everything to him. He has been better than a great many fathers might have been to me, and has left me a rich man for life. If he had left a million in that way, I should not have grumbled. But what I can't understand is that he should have left the disposal of what I suppose um, amounts to something like a couple of millions, and the interest on them, to this man, Halkine. He is Grace's uncle, certainly, but I have never liked the man. I don't know whether you have ever noticed his eyes, but there is a sort of hypnotic power or something of that sort in them and I don't think a man ought to have. Yes, replied Mr. Barthgate slowly, I have noticed them. I have noticed also that on the few occasions on which we have met he has done his best to, as they call it in the stories, fix my gaze. 
I candidly admit that I share your, uh, we may say, distrust of him, and I have always looked the other way. Still, he went on, looking contemplatively at the smoke curling from the end of his cigar, as your legal adviser I ought to tell you that of all things in law, undue influence upon a testator in the making of a will is the most difficult to prove. It is, of course, quite possible that those wonderful eyes of his did influence Sir Godfrey to make that extraordinary will. But there is the fact that the instructions which were given to me were written in his own handwriting and signed with his usual signature. I am afraid there is no getting away from that. We may call it eccentricity or anything that we like, but the courts are occupied every day with the eccentricities of testators. And I need hardly remind you that the law recognizes absolutely the right of a man to do what he will with his own, provided always that he is sane and that he executes his will in proper form. Now I really cannot see that there is any proof that Sir Godfrey was not absolutely sane when he gave me those instructions written by his own hand, and when he executed the will in my presence. In short, I am afraid, my dear Mr. Enstone, if you are contemplating anything like a contest of the will, I am bound to advise you that you haven't a leg to stand upon. I had better tell you that now than later. Whatever my private opinion of the matter may be, it is my duty to save you from the worry and expense of a lawsuit, which, I am afraid, could only have one end. Yes, replied Harold, leaning back in his chair and taking up his wine-glass. Of course you are perfectly right. All the same, I am certain that he did not write out those instructions of his own free will and accord, as they say. It's a most extraordinary thing, Mr. Barthgate, he went on rather awkwardly, after a little pause. But since I have been married to Grace, I seem to have acquired a curious kind of, um, well, I hardly know what to call it. It's a kind of insight almost inspiration, one may say, that I certainly never had before. For instance, as I said, I never liked this Dr. Halkine. It was like the old rhyme about Dr. Fell. I could not tell why. Now, although I have not the slightest proof, I feel practically certain that he has been playing a double game all along, and that he, and not Sir Godfrey, is the author of these instructions." and he went on leaning forward and putting his elbows on the table. What is more extraordinary still, Grace, who before we were married never had an evil thought of him, believes exactly as I do. Now what do you make of that? Everything and yet nothing, replied the lawyer, with a smile and slight shrug of his shoulders. Everything from what you might call the point of view of moral conviction— but as to the legal view, absolutely nothing. You see, my dear Mr. Enstone, the courts do not go upon convictions. I mean that kind of conviction. They want evidence, fact, proof. Of that you haven't a shred. I don't say that something cannot be discovered when you go through Sir Godfrey's papers. Happy thought, said Harold, emptying his glass and getting up. Let us go into the library and go through his writing desk. I had rather I had you with me when I did it. 
Grace can come too, because it is quite as much her business as it is mine. I am entirely at your service, said Mr. Barthgate, rising. For the rest of the night, if you like. I am the last man in the world to hold out anything like false hopes, but I may say quite candidly that I do sincerely trust that we may find something tangible to go upon, for, morally speaking, I am just as certain as you are that this Dr. Halkheim, with all due deference to your wife's uncle, is not exactly what he ought to be. He is a man, and anyone can see, of extraordinary abilities, perhaps too great abilities. And then, those eyes of his. As you say, I don't like them. In fact, quite between ourselves, I may say that, during a little conversation that they had with Sir Neville Alderson and Dr. Russell Thorpe, Sir Neville distinctly raised the question as to whether he was not one of a good many instances known to medical science of genius run mad. Hm, said Harold, as they went towards the door. Criminal madness, I expect, if that's the case. End of chapter 7